Hi, I'm Corley Rosario. I am the senior UX designer at Scopely for the Wheel of Fortune team. Um, I got into UX, I guess, a little unconventionally. I'm originally from Puerto Rico, um, studied graphic design, and then came to San Francisco to pursue, uh, you know, a role in game development. Um, I took what I knew from graphic design and applied it in to user experience and user interface, and that's what I do now. Uh, so we are in our Discord uh, channel right now, and we are, this is an AMA, so as people come in and out of the event, uh, people will be able to ask questions, and I'll, but I'll be asking most of them. <laughs> uh, yep. <laughs> so you, you mentioned that, uh, you're doing. You're currently on the Wheel of Fortune team on a at a company called Scopely, and that that product is a mobile game that is like using the official Wheel of Fortune brand license. Is that right? It is. It is. Uh, we do have a partnership, um, and it is Wheel of Fortune IP. Neat. And does that company work with a lot of other IPs as well? Oh yes. Um, so right now, live we have uh, Yahtzee. Um, Yahtzee with buddies, I, if I remember correctly, I'm, like, I'm not, it's almost like words with friends, but Yahtzee with something, something like buddies or something so that it's not exactly with, with friends brand. Exactly. Uh, we do have a walking dead game, um, which is more, more like a, I guess, almost like a sim game, I would say, uh, not so much like your. You're like building your town up and, and stuff like that. Oh, like uh, we a, do have basically almost like a, a settlement management kind of game. Yes. Yeah. Um, we have a WWE game, which is a match three. Uh, and then you can use like your power moves and, and stuff like that. Um, our Wheel of Fortune game. And we have a Dice with Ellen game. Cool. And how long have you been with Scopely so far? So this is my first month and a half. <laughs> <laughs> um, I relocated to LA uh, for this job. And I mean, so far it's been a blast, to be honest. <laughs> it's It's been really, really fun. It, uh, the team is just so tight-knit and they work together so well. Um, for a UX designer to be able to be on a team that really values UX is, is just ideal and perfect. That's neat. So uh, what kind of background do many of the other UX designers on the team tend to have? Are, do they tend to be mostly games focused or are they more broad? Um, so I'm the only UX designer right now on our team. Mm -hmm. um, however, I can maybe talk a little more broadly about sure. the industry. Um, usually from what I've seen so far, a lot of UX designers, they have maybe a little more formal background. They maybe did a, a master's or PhD or some sort of boot camp in, um, in user experience. Um, and especially if, if they're user researchers, definitely they, chances of them having a PhD are very high. Um, in my case, I do have a bachelor's degree in, in graphic design specifically. Um, and with me, my bachelor's degree kind of covered a variety of things. Like you ask me any art related thing, I can probably do it. I can paint, I know how to develop my own photos. 
Um, yeah, we, we covered a bit of everything just to get a really good foundation. Um, but more than anything, they really hammered down on, on, how do you say it? On just empathy and community. And a lot of our projects uh, for our thesis and our seminar um, revolved around, you know, community and, and being empathetic towards the people we were designing for. And that's where a lot of, you know, what, what I got from my bachelor's degree came into play for, for game development and specifically for user experience. It's, it's all about empathy. It's all about advocating for our users. Um, so in my case, even though it was a little unconventional, it really played really well hand, you know, it combined really well with what I'm doing now. Um, That's but me. Uh, usually, where, where did you say you studied? In Puerto Rico, uh, La Escuela de Artes Plástica, <laughs> a school of fine arts. Nice. It would be, I guess, the translation. It's a, it's a university that's in old San Juan. Um, it's a public university. Uh, if When I was there, we were about 400, 500 students total between all the different disciplines. Um, and I think they're like eight different disciplines, something like that. And then for my master's, it was at Academy of Art in San Francisco. Uh, specifically in the game development track. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned user research. How does how is that different as a field? So with the user research, it's more about testing, more about um, really understanding who's playing your game and why. Um, and that does feed directly into user experience side of things. You know, I can't really design anything if I don't know who I'm designing it for. Um, in my case, I do a bit of both. Um, I do a lot of like, just the building up of the foundation, a lot of persona work, a lot of, um, journeys, like user journeys, uh, case scenarios, um, a bit of testing and just like a lot of data around why people play the game or why people would use this feature, um, and what they look forward to in using the feature. and and that just plays into, into everything I design. Um, but user research is really, really in depth. Like there are people, well, in, in our company, we have a team that's solely dedica dedicated to doing user research. Yeah, and it, it's, it's, it's a lot of documentation. It seems like it's also, they tends to lean more science heavy, like a lot of procedural stuff. Uh, like, very, very much so. Yeah. Um, you know, that's where a lot of your A-B testing is going to be. That's where focus groups, um, just any sort of data we can pull from the games, a user researcher or a user acquisition person will be like the people pouring over that data. Yeah. And the IGDA has a game user research SIG. Yes. So, and yeah. And there's also a Discord channel, oh. uh, a Discord group. Uh, they are, let me see, Games yeah. User Research SIG, and I can actually, let me see if I can find it. I found their website, which also has the link, so I will post it in the chat. Okay, cool. Neat. Uh, cool, and so user research as a profession is more about the act of actually doing research well in order to gather the data that is then in turn used 
it for UX and I guess in games also probably like playtesting and so on. Yep. Uh, a lot of times it's um, our, you know, our game designers use it, um, our product managers use it. Um, pretty much anyone who is building a feature from scratch, I would say, um, they need some sort of data in order to understand what that feature is going to need and who it's going to serve. Mm -hmm. um, um, so in, in your job uh, as a UX uh, designer, it seems like you're in charge of both the high level like UX goals, like that kind of design thinking and also the implementation of it. Like you literally, so I, yeah. It, in my case, I don't implement, but I do map out what the behavior will be like. Mm -hmm. um, I work very, very closely. Literally the game designers sit right next to me. Um, I work very, very closely with the game designers to really understand the features that they're, you know, thinking of putting together. And the way I would kind of describe it, I guess, uh, with game designers, they're really thinking about, you know, the fun aspect of this, um, the, the features we want to build out, the mechanics, uh, so on. And I'm the one that has to advocate for the user to be like, hey, that sounds like fun, but are they really going to understand how to use this? Mm -hmm. Are they really going to understand, you know, what prizes they're going to win from this? Um, how to achieve those prizes. And that's where I step in and, and, and make sure the system that they're building actually makes sense from a user standpoint. Um, it's not that I'm making things easier for the user or for the player. Um, it's more just making sure we give them the right tools that they need. Nice. So basically like the main distinction is game designers work on the systems, the mechanics, and they they have their goals of basically the experience that they're trying to create through their game design. And you uh -huh. are thinking more about like the nitty gritty of actually using that experience and living through it. Um, like for example, which menus, how do we depict this information to the user and how do, what uh -huh. controls are in front of them? Uh, and is, is that right? Exactly. And also, even from a higher level, how does this feel mm -hmm. overall? Um, I mean, that's pretty much, I would say, the most important thing as a user experience designer. We want to avoid frustration. So is this system actually creating fr frustration and friction for users rather than walking away feeling rewarded or feeling like they had fun or feeling like um, they got the most out of an event or a system? Um, yeah, mm -hmm. we we strongly advocate for for feeling. I guess uh, the other thing it's not only um, we also try to understand where certain features will live. Um, that's I guess where a lot of the information architecture side of things come in. You know, if you're building a profile, just to give an example, um, does it make sense to put the profile? in in achievements screen mm, not really yeah, like navigation. yeah navigation um just making sure that everything is living in the game is living where it's supposed to live and things that are going to be used more often then we have to surface that better 
compared to other, you know, other features that are in the game. So that, again, like I said before, I work very, very closely with game designers to the point where some people ask me like, what's the difference? Um, but, th but there is, there is a difference and there's very different mindsets and very different goals in mind. Yeah. Which is why it's, it's so important to have a team that, that really values UX and understands what we bring to the table. It sounds like your team usually has like a great setup because like, as you said, you sit next to the game designer. You're, you're seen as partially owning the overall experience. Like game designers talk about like, oh, you're making an experience. You need to decide what that experience is and how to bring it about through mechanics and stuff. But you are also thinking about the game, the experience of the user uh, and how to bring that about through the, the more detailed interactions and stuff. Uh, yeah. It, but have you ever either worked in teams or seen teams that don't respect like that the that prof like basically that profession or like do they only see UX designers as making stuff look pretty? Definitely, and I think <laughs> most UX designers and even graphic designers as well. Um, we've all kind of been through the, that experience um, where we've had a team or been on a team that they knew they needed a UX designer or they knew they needed some sort of visual designer. They just didn't know what to do with them. Mm -hmm. um, so I've definitely been on projects where I'm just kind of like, you know, pushed in a corner and just get fed information. And this is what we want you to do. Um, so it definitely kind of falls more into the visual designer side of things rather than, mm -hmm. I guess, taking more ownership. Um, especially very early in my career, that was definitely a thing that happened. But as you go through experience and you go through the different teams, you start understanding where you can leverage like your skills or, or where there's room to like be able to prove that there's more than just making things pretty. And you kind of have to find, you kind of have to wiggle yourself into, <laughs> into that room. Did you ever fall, like early in your career, did you ever fall into the trap of even just seeing your own job? It's just like, oh yeah, I just need to make this pretty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, especially, so now I'm slowly, I'm kind of shifting more into like a purely UX uh, user experience role. Mm -hmm. uh, when I first started, I was still very much UI UX and still, even today, I still do a lot of UI. Um, but very early on, again, they don't, these projects, like people that were working on these projects, they didn't really know to, what to do with me. Um, and they didn't really understand the difference between UX and UI. They thought it was the same thing, which is very, pretty common, especially in games. Um, they kind of equate the same, you know, as, as being the same thing. Um, so they focus more on the final polished aspect of what the UI and these menu systems and these icons are going to look like rather than how they're supposed to function or how they're supposed to feel and how one screen takes you to the next. Um, which unfortunately ends up with a, a weaker system or a weaker game because we didn't think of all the case scenarios. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if a person came into here and then decided to back out, well, what happens? Oh, we didn't think about that. So they just kind of have to go with through the flow 
um, until the end of it. Well, you know, that's that's bad UX. Um, things like that. Yeah, and that's kind of how the word UX came out of. Like, at the time, people just kept calling it UI, user interface, and they're like, we, this is too limiting in scope. And so when the U, word UX, user experience, started get, becoming more popular, I remember it was more of a deliberate attempt to expand the, to basically get people to think bigger and to stop thinking in so much in terms of making stuff look nice <laughs> and mm-hmm. take like owning those responsibilities to f- avoid those problems and fix those problems before you ship. Definitely. And especially now since, you know, user experience or uh, experience design in general has so many branches now. Um, for myself, for example, I used to implement like very early in my career, not anymore. It's, it's too much for one person to do mm-hmm. uh, between designing, wireframing, creating prototypes, um, doing research. And on top of that, implementing in-game, like all these different menus and icons and assets and behaviors that are attached to them as well, any sort of animation attached to that as well. It's too much for a single person. There are people out there that definitely do it and amazing props to them. I admire them so much. But for me, I felt like I had to focus. And in my case, I focus on user research side of things And that feeds into, you know, the user experience. Um, I don't do research as robust as like maybe the rest of my team or or the user experience team, uh, user research team. Um, But I definitely, whenever I see the chance for, hey, we kind of have to test this to make sure that like our hypothesis is correct or that we're actually, you know, targeting the right players, then then I'll take that initiative and do it myself. Yeah, so it sounds like um yeah with with a lot of ui teams uh or rather ux teams uh that i've worked with uh mm-hmm. there is a tendency for uh, like the main ux person to almost be seen like a consultant across the various teams that are implementing uh so like if one team is working on a part of the product and a question arises like maybe that part of the product is so new that it hasn't been designed yet and it's like the first discussions of what it needs to be then that's when they rope Uh in like this the main the ux person into that part of the project and it the it seems like the main responsibilities that they like the main i guess they provided a lot of continuity like if because many different parts of the product team might not be talking to each other uh or they're just not as familiar with each other's work as you'd want them to be and so the, uh-huh. as some having one person who just is in charge of all, all of the UI, all of the UX everywhere can, be, can bring that perspective that's like, actually, we had a similar problem over here and this is how they did it. Please follow the same pattern so that users don't get confused, for example. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's why we have like standard practices as well within UX and, and UI both. Um, it's things that we continuously you know, continuously, like, just look towards to make sure that, you know, these systems work because they've been proven to work over and over. Um, There are always exceptions, you know, from game to game. But a good standard 
would be, you know, Google, Google's um, design thing. Uh, I forgot what it's called now. But uh, material design? Material design. Like, that's just a huge library or a list of, like, just standards that are expected for web or apps. Um, a lot of that can be applied into certain types of games as well. Um, I don't know if we have, like, a game, like, a, the equivalent. Yeah of material design but for games i i've never really seen anything like that yet not really but i mean but i mean there are some st standard practices like you know green means good green means call to action um or yellow means call to action in in many games now because we are trying to design more for accessibility mm -hmm. um you know green and red for colorblind people it's kind of they they don't see a difference yeah. um and it's to, funny i tend to thinking of it as gold instead of yellow uh, that's how yeah. they like pitch it as like oh this is gold it's good <laughs> exactly um and then blue can be used for notifications or anything that might be kind of new or something like that or, or badging um so there are some things that you'll be you'll start seeing from game to game that are consistent um but again i i don't think We've built a library yet, or some sort of like standard yet. It'd be yeah. interesting to work on something like that. <laughs> I wonder what the what kind of conversations might have come up about that in the IGDA user research sake. Um, they do have a resources section on their website that seems pretty. Uh, they only have a few links. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, but that's something that could be. Yeah, we could I was curious about. Up the difference in your work in terms of data gathering, like the difference in like playtest information and usability studies, is there a real difference or do you use them interchangeably or like the terms? There, there definitely is a difference. Usually with play, uh, play testing, um, you're looking more for like bugs. You're looking at like, is the system working as intended? Um, you're not so much looking at whether or not things make, made sense to players or how they felt after they completed X or Y thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas that's more what I focus on. Um, you know, was the information that I provided you enough or was it parsed in a way that you were able to read through and understand what, what steps you needed to take next? Um, when I was doing playtesting at Beyond Games, it, it was not playtesting, user testing. Um, I did two different things. I did, a, well, it was all qualitative. So it was very much about like, what is the player feeling? What are they seeing? Are they understanding how to do, you know, how to go into battle, how to fight your enemies? Um, do they understand the rewards that they're getting? And overall, just how did they feel at the end of battle? Um, did they have fun? Um, did, were they able to start building a strategy? And that kind of starts playing into the playtest. Mm -hmm. But at the end of it, um, I also had them do a survey to really evaluate, you know, where, where they kind of like just felt or understood what it was that they were looking for or using or or trying to find 
um, just to gauge in a more data-driven aspect rather than just qualitative. Because qualitative is, is more just like, hey, the user, six out of six users felt this rather than six out of six users said this or rated this six out of 10, something like that. Um, so I took both approaches when I was doing uh, user testing with them. And it really helped guide the redesign that we did for our game, um, help kind of put things in perspective for us, especially. Uh, very early on, some players were saying like, well, you know, this game isn't that much different from something else that I've been playing. Um, why would I play this game over the other game that, that I've been playing? And thanks to the user testing we did, we, you know, we, we just redesigned the whole battle experience and a lot of the meta of the game as well. And it led to like just a better overall game and a lot more fun and very different as well. Um, so user testing, again, it feeds into the overall game design. Um, but again, it, it's, it's just looking at different things compared to play tests. Mm -hmm. Have you ever, uh, so you mentioned one way in which you adjusted the methodology of how you gather data in order to, mm -hmm. uh, get better, something that you can better work with. Uh, do you have any examples of when you just made a, like you, you just had horrible methodology or something that was in that you regretted having that affected your results and maybe made it harder to work with? Um, so I can't think of anything right now, but one thing, if anything, is a, an expectation as a user experience designer, um, especially when you're testing, you kind of, when you're asking questions, especially, you're, you shouldn't lead on the people that you're asking the questions to. Mm -hmm. um, early on, that kind of tripped me up a little bit. And thankfully, my supervisor was like, hey, let's get you to practice how to properly ask questions. I'm like, okay. So an example would be, um, so you tested our battle system. Uh, can you tell me on a scale of one to 10, how excited you were about it? Well, that's a very leading question in the sense that I'm expecting you to feel a very specific way about a battle system. <laughs> yeah. Um, how angry did it make you feel? How happy did it make you feel? I can't assume those things. So if anything, it would be, you know, on a scale of one to 10, one being angry, five being happy or excited or something like that and let people kind of gauge in that sense or let them tell you flat out how they felt so you tried our battle system how did you feel at the end of it and and they can tell you specifically i felt frustrated why did you feel frustrated because of this um i didn't understand these troops were mine i didn't understand how to drop bombs i felt at the end of battle i just lost all my troops and it was just a very negative experience for me so you you kind of have to open especially in qualitative uh research and and testing you, you kind of have to open the door for them um to let them tell you how it is that they felt how many uh 
how many people do you tend to have in a particular, I guess, round of data gathering? So for qualitative, um, it really depends on what exactly you're testing, but typically we don't suggest more than five people uh, per session. So let's say a session would be, and I know I'm kind of like using this example over and over again. Um, one session is we want to test our battle system. We want to test um, how to build troops. And that session could be anywhere from half an hour to an hour long per person. And we'll have five people come in. Uh, these people, we choose them based, in, in my case, based on personas um, and depending on what it is that we're testing. So if, if it's more of a core mechanic, we might want to bring maybe more core players or mid players um if it's more just a system that everyone uses then we want to bring in everyone including casual players um and you just set it up that way you, you bring in people and you'll have them for half an hour an hour long um and you just give them the game and in my case what i did i gave them a task to complete so the first task is i want you to build five Marines and just let them start using the game. Let them figure out where they have to look for this. Let them figure out how to build it. Um, if you feel that they're starting to take too long, like they can't find the button that lets that takes them into the, the troop building uh, feature, or they can't find the, the building itself um, on on the screen, then you kind of have to like nudge them a little bit, or you can move on to the next task. Uh, if there's just too much frustration, because then that mean that means, you know, well, we, we have to surface this a little bit better, a little more. Um, but like things like that. Neat. Um, I wanted to ask, so your team currently works on the Wheel of Fortune game. Um, uh -huh. How do you feel about working on like of that kind of franchise? I guess you've only been on it for a month. For a month. <laughs> but I can imagine a lot of students being like, I don't care about that. And like I wanna ask you like, what's your take on that like stance? So for a stance, can you repeat the question? Uh, basically the question is most students, I guess, maybe most people would argue that Wheel of Fortune is not an exciting game to work on. Do you find it exciting okay. and how or how not? So for me, I've never been the kind of person where like, yes, I want to work at that studio specifically. Honestly, it doesn't matter what type of product I'm working on as long as I find a challenge in it. And for me, especially right now, uh, a lot of the challenge is lying in our pipeline. I'm, I'm making a better pipeline for, for our team. Um, I'm trying to, f and, and also I'm a very solution-driven person. So I'll look at a problem not by, not by the overall, I guess, theme or context, but rather how can I solve this to be better? Um, some people might find that casual games are very casual games, like what I'm working on aren't interesting. For me, it is because it's just challenging. It's a different type of challenge. Mm -hmm. 
uh, when you start looking at it in that sense, it doesn't matter what team you're going to be on. You're always find you're always going to find some sort of fulfillment. Yeah, I've heard um, I've heard some people describe that as like the career craftsman mentality. Like yeah. you are, you see your career as honing a set of skills, and you see this particular opportunity as a chance to really improve your skills in some respects and to face interesting problems. And I I think that's like the mentality to have in any career. <laughs> uh, I think so too. Um, I've had a lot of friends who they end up working for maybe the company that they always wanted to work for or one of the top five. And they think just based on what I've seen, like a lot of them feel that might be enough. Like I've always wanted to work. Uh, I don't. I don't want to call out any specific company, but you know, I I always wanted to work. I don't know for Blizzard or for or, yeah, for or three four three or Bungie. Yeah, exactly. And 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 I'm not saying that these are bad companies at all. You know, but maybe when they get there, and they see it's it's not exactly what they thought it was going to be because they focus so much on the company name rather than what the pipeline is like or what the work that you're doing or just placing value on on your individual goal um whereas for me that's kind of like i just keep my head at all the time for me it's very three things are very very important who am i working with what's my team like you know are for me it's very important that's a tight-knit environment that everyone understands each other and there's room for to take initiative to to not block one another in the sense that like oh i don't want to you know hear what you have to say um let people experiment is very important for me as well um especially when when you're working in a more agile uh environment or a more agile team um experimentation is very important because I, I need to uh, iterate constantly. Um, let's see what else is very important for me and, and just having problems to solve, I guess would be yeah. <laughs> a big, big one. Um, other than that, I mean, I could be working on, I don't know, a game about bread and I'll be <laughs> happy. <laughs> <laughs> or even uh what about what about the idea of working on a, something that's not a game with it so like? i have before yeah um so i've worked on apps and websites before uh my work with um my work with fingerprint was very much more app focused rather than games and the work that i did at amigo cloud was entirely app focused and web focused it does have its own set of challenges However, I find it more fun to work on games. It's just, it's where my heart's at, 100%. That's neat. Um, I definitely agree that the, like, I do worry about people who do show a lot of that affinity towards, like, I only want to work at, on products that they personally like. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. I, I always worry because it's, it's, on one hand, it's a little unprofessional. On the other hand, it, it does make them a little less 
flexible, like more rigid. It lessens their options on the types of jobs that they could enjoy. Um, yeah, yeah. Like life will take you in so many different directions, and if you're only focusing, if you're only putting all your eggs in one basket, <laughs> and the basket breaks, then what do you have left? You know, where are you putting your efforts into? Is it just the fact that this is a company that you know has a big name, or is it more about your own personal professional development? regardless where life is going to take you yeah and like a lot of people do turn to games as like a dream job kind of thing like that's one of the things that attracts them to it it's like oh this is like a dream i'm gonna make my dream come true uh mm -hmm. but then there's a flip side of like yeah that's great dreams and goals are actually really healthy but you also gotta really learn to like the like, like the the weeds of it <laughs> like Mm -hmm. uh, there's a, there's also that sense of practicality that you you have to make money you have to put bread on the table uh, exactly. you have to pay rent and like me like I had immigrant parents and so like I feel like immigrant parents are really good at being super uh, I guess instilling that sense of practical urgency within you mm -hmm. uh, and I I always respect people a lot who can uh, who seem to like who have the ability to enjoy whatever manifestation of their job as long as they are confident in their in in that job itself like that profession yeah. that skill set etc and their own growth as well yeah um i've also heard uh tv people like i always bring this up a lot how when i was in when i was a student i attended a panel of a bunch of tv professionals just because I saw it and I'm like, oh, I have no interest in t working in television or film, uh, but it seemed neat, so I went. And one of the, I, I don't remember if they were an actor or like a producer or something, but they mentioned that everything is so project-based in films and the same is kind of true for games, that mm -hmm. you inevitably start seeing your career as a series of waves, like like surfing, like as if you're surfing, like you go wave after wave after wave and you just try your best to enjoy each wave while you're on it and exactly. you prepare for bigger and better waves in the future and like that perpetual exactly. cycle. I, I feel like and that's another, you... yeah. No, go ahead. Go I, ahead. I just feel like that's another way of thinking about the whole like career craftsman mentality especially in the games industry mm -hmm. another really good way to look at it as well um and i don't i think people early on in their career don't really think about this um if you only have one set of experience or expert well not expertise but like one project that you've been on for many 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 years on in only one company, um, you're not really exposed to different ways and different methodologies that could be better or can improve or create impact on a new project mm. or a new company. So again, just to give a very broad example, let's say you've been at Blizzard for 15 years and you're used to doing things a very specific way because that's the only way you know. Yeah, they're pipeline. Versus, exactly. Uh, versus if you've been 
at one company for two years, at another company for five, and another company for X amount, and then you move on to Blizzard, you've accumulated a bunch of different types of methods and pipelines and things that work and don't work that you can bring to this new company. Um, and I think that's really valuable. Um, maybe some teams might be very hesitant to bring in new pipelines, but just to give you a very personal example right now, I'm bringing in a new pipeline and so far it's creating impact. It's causing, it's um, allowing decisions to be made much quicker versus their previous pipeline, which, you know, it's a yeah. great thing. <laughs> and, and, and if I hadn't had, no, it's okay. <laughs> if I hadn't had like these experiences up till now, in order to bring all that knowledge to this new job, like it would be a very different story, I think. I would be trying to adapt myself to their pipeline rather than add to it. Yeah, and when you're first starting out, you do are you are mostly put in a position where you have to adapt to whatever company you're joining. Uh, uh -huh. especially for those lower level roles where they're like, we don't need someone who need, who's trying to rethink everything. We just need someone to be another hands on deck to help us get this out the door kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and that totally happens. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't like you should, that doesn't mean you should turn your brain off and stop thinking critically about the pipe, the pipelines that you're following the processes uh -huh. um, because that's all going to be. How can I make, no, yeah. How can I make, Next thing better how can i make it more efficient especially in agile yeah um that's that's like the top thing how can i make everything more efficient how can i create opportunities for the rest of my team um to pump out features faster so i want to ask about some of your past projects uh you said you worked in web a bit yeah uh, uh with amigo cloud i worked uh it was both web and mobile uh-huh have you, and I'm also curious, have you ever touched anything relating to Flash? Any Flash projects? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh my God, I'm going to show my age a little bit. So, uh -huh. um, I, so this process works for me. I don't, it's not that I don't recommend it to other people. This is just something that personally works for me. Okay. Uh, sometimes when I have a very specific behavior in mind, in my designs, I will animate it in flash. Um, but this is not meant to be a final result. This is more kind of like the way an animatic works in film. Mm -hmm. um, this is kind of like just what I do. Um, if I want a very specific kind of effect, I'll, I'll do it in Flash and show it to the people who will be implementing or the artists that will be creating it. Um, so I brought up again, Flash. I brought it up because we had another UX professional a few months ago who mm -hmm. said that she also uses Flash still, uh, specifically for that same reason. Like, you just want to show something. <laughs> you exactly. Want, and it's such a... There are once you have you once you're used to that tool or any tool, you just gravitate towards it. Pretty much, yeah. Um, so I don't prototype in Flash. Just to just to be clear, uh -huh. I just anything that requires animation and I just can't convey using my prototyping tools. I will probably ninety percent of the time do in Flash. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but that's just 
like what you just said, it just works for me. It's something that I know I don't have to learn. I don't have to spend a week learning a new tool. Like After Effects um, or something. Exactly. And I haven't touched After Effects in such a long time. It really is a little bit embarrassing, to be honest, <laughs> but but it's something I'm, I'm very much aware of as well. So, um, so these days, Flash is called Animate? Is that true? Yeah, it is. Okay. It's Animate now. Um, but there are a lot of tools out there that will, you know, ha- have more robust prototype animating prototyping tools. What are some of the um, other tools that you use? So right now I'm using Azure. Um, not as many UX design. Well, I, I'm not sure. Um, the reason I use Azure is it lets me customize as much as I want. What is Azure? Um, so like, is it? It's not Microsoft Azure. Uh, no, no, it's with a, it's with an X. Uh, oh, Azure, Azure, okay. Azure, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so it's it's a very robust prototyping tool. It's typically used more for uh, web, but you can also very easily create things for for apps. And in my case, for games that are more app like, like Wheel of Fortune is. Is pretty app-like, um, and some of the other games that I've worked on, even even the game that I was working on in um, in Beyond Games was somewhat app-like. Yeah. So as long as I got the the overall feeling of it into my prototypes, that was totally fine. Now, if I needed to design something more in-world, depending on what it is. Sometimes I'll go into Flash or sometimes I'll just sit down with a game designer or whoever's going to be implementing it and just kind of banging up, bang mm-hmm. it up together. I, I know how to use Unity um, and, and I know how to program as well, but very rarely will I actually go into Unity and prototype something just because it takes a little bit too long to actually prototype mm-hmm. versus these other tools that I have. So Azure's one. Um, another one is Sketch, um, is very commonly used by a lot of UX and UI designers. Um, let's see, Flinto is another one. Um, and I think with Flinto, if I'm not mistaken, you can Is code this the right link for well. Sketch? Yes. Cool. Um, a very common one that's used is Envision, uh, just because you can plug and play very easily. And now with Envision Studio, I think there's like more robust animating tools. Envision with an I? Envision, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Cool. Another one that I use at... Um, a fingerprint was proto.io. And the good thing about that one in Envision is that they're very collaborative. So if you have more than one UX designer on the team or a UI person or just someone else on the team that also wants to be involved, um, you know, anyone can, can log in and pick it up and, and continue to design from there. Um, let me see what else I have here. There was another one. When I was at Microsoft, we used PowerPoint a lot as a tool. Yeah, 
a lot a lot of people still use uh, Keynote in in PowerPoint. Yeah, just like if using it their works, basic it works. their basic shapes, copy paste text. Yeah. And you can then save that as images or whatever. Um, another tool that's used on other teams here uh, is Principal. I, I haven't really gotten too far into that, but it seems like their animating tools are, are really just work really well. Neat. Yeah, honestly, tools wise, as long as you can get the point across, you can even use a whiteboard, to be honest. Um, yeah. But of course, having having I, I, I'm a strong advocate for prototyping because you will have stakeholders that just can't imagine what it is that you're wireframing. They just don't understand versus the moment you put something in, in their hands and they see how it should work and function and move, it clicks automatically with them. Um, how what what engines? Do you, the games that you work on typically get made in? Unity. Mostly Unity? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Most, mostly Unity. Um, yeah. When I was at Fingerprint, we had our own engine. Um, but yeah, Unity is it's just so the go-to. With right Unity, now. with Unity UI, uh, it's different from the actual OS UI. So like, if you're on Android... You expect lists and stuff to scroll a certain way. You expect certain gestures mm -hmm. to do certain things. Unity kind of rips all of that away. Do you ever have problems with your team where you're like, this UI is too simple. It needs more of that like OS level polish. Um, with Unity, like you mentioned, there are some limits. Um, you kind of have to design around those limits. Mm -hmm. There, you know, one example I was given when I started here we can do vertically uh, scrolling lists, but we can't do horizontally scrolling within vertically scrolling. I see. Because, you know, the the inputs for, for tapping and stuff like that, just as they don't understand the difference. Um, so what you end up having is like this weird interaction that just doesn't work. So I have to design within those limits. Um, that requires me talking a lot to the engineers or whoever's implementing. I will show them my idea, you know, very preliminary, and they will tell me yes or no. <laughs> and if they tell me no, I'm like, all right, let's change course. <laughs> let's, let's figure out another solution for this. As long as you're open to that sort of thing, and as long as you're still hitting kind of like those standards that we're, we were talking about earlier, it should be okay. Um. I realized and didn't actually finish asking you about your past projects. So what were, what were some of the more fun projects that you've worked on already? Um, Beyond Games was definitely a really fun experience. Um, I can't talk too much about that project because it's in soft launch right now. Oh. But I... I was allowed a lot of experimentation and a lot of just taking my own initiative in, in, in that role. Um, I was the one that spearheaded our entire like user research side of things. Um, so all our initial user testing, that was me. Um, my supervisor on that team was very, very supportive and anyone would be so lucky to have a supervisor like that. 
Um, the other thing, I, I also, whenever we ran into an idea that maybe I had some sort of hesitation on, um, they, they definitely gave me the space to, to just kind of give my own opinion on it. And if they st still weren't sold on it, I would find unconventional ways for us to kind of look at the idea together. So one example, we were talking about this feature. It was sort of like a fog of war feature. And, you know, I had my hesitations on it from, you know, advocating for the user. I wasn't sure that this was something that would be a good idea for this type of game and for these types of users. They just want to be able to go into battle quickly and that's it. Fog of war didn't seem like a good idea. Um, I expressed it to my team. They weren't kind of on the same page as I am. So give me a date and let's reconvene. And I just want to take a, a higher look at this or a more fleshed out look at this. So what I did was within that date, I actually created a game um, using the whiteboards that we had all, all around our office. And each person had a section of the whiteboard that was covered in post-it notes. And under each post-it note, there was or wasn't an object, um, either a player's base or some sort of resource that they can collect from. Maybe there was nothing, maybe there was a bigger, uh, a bigger building that they could hit, uh, like a raid of some sort. But they wouldn't know unless they uncovered the post-it. And in order to uncover the post-it, they needed to pay me. Um, and through that exercise, even though it wasn't a purely user experience exercise, it was it was more just trying to understand and get in, into the footsteps of our users, or shoes of our users. Um, they were able to see, you know, we have different types of users. We have the person who can shell out money no matter, you know, how much they have and they're willing to pay for that. We have our users that are more like min-maxers. They're just really interested in, in taking advantage of, of the system as much as they can. We have our casual players that just didn't care at all whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. um, we had people that were more strategic in, in their approach. And these were all you know people within our office, and they all had wildly different ways that they approached this game and it let them at least see you know like the or, or just understand a little bit like if we implement this feature this is how it's going to impact all these different types of players and these different different types of people so if we do implement this we have to make sure we're implementing it in a way that isn't going to hinder anyone um for me it's not about being right or wrong it's about are we advocating again, advocating for the user, making sure that whatever it is that we're designing actually makes sense. And if it doesn't, then we have to evaluate whether that's the best system for this. And that that's kind of like, that was, that was an exercise I had a lot of fun with. <laughs> that sounds really Cause it cool. took, no, yeah, it, it was taking my user experience knowledge and my game design background and just kind of mixing it together to, to inform our stakeholders. It was also a really surprisingly professional way to handle the whole issue. Like, you, you, it was framed more as 
oh, a series of questions and like let's test this kind of thing as opposed to like an argument <laughs> like, exactly I, and, I can and imagine I... I can imagine like uh certain people certain work styles maybe people who have a lot to left to learn turning it in their head and seeing it mainly as like a political problem like i need to have more influence in the company or I need to convince so-and-so person who's really hard-headed uh whereas you framed it more as a professional like series of questions which is really great yeah and as a user experience designer you have to ask a lot of questions and it's not to be confrontive it's not to be you know that pain in the neck or whatever um it's really more just making sure that we are building the best system that we can it's making sure everyone wins, especially our users. So we have two minutes left. Do you yeah. have any, any like, I guess, parting thoughts that you really want to make sure aspiring UX professionals or even aspiring game developers in general should hear? Um, I guess two really big words of wisdom. One is more specific to UX. The other one is just general. Um, if you really want to get into UX or become a UX designer. Empathy is so, 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 so important. Um, you need to be able to put aside all your biases, put aside what you think is right or wrong, and just purely think about the other person. If you can't do that, you're going to have a really, really uphill battle <laughs> with yourself, with the projects, with whoever it is that you're working Even with. Even with your test subjects, like usability test mm -hmm. people. Exactly. Um, empathy is just so important. Patience is so important. Um, uh, kind of on that note, I remember reading an article a couple of years ago, and no, it was more than a couple, <laughs> but it was years ago, where someone was pushing back on like the popular notion of, like you do, you do a usability test, you see users unable to find things that are right in front of their face, and you're, it's very tempting to conclude that they're just stupid. Uh, but yes. <laughs> but that, ar that article was arguing, like, they're not stupid, they just don't care. They're too busy to care. Like, they're too busy to, to basically turn on their brain to 100% processing power when they're all they want to do is, like, pay their bill or move on to some other thing. They don't have... Uh -huh. And that, like, that framing of it and that interpretation it really just comes from a place of empathy and like putting your place, putting yourself in their shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, agree. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the second piece of, I guess, advice I would give network, 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 network. If you can't find meetup groups around you, if you can't find people to talk to in person, go online. Slack is your best friend. There's designer hangouts. There's, um, I, I'm in so many Slack channels. I think I'm in like 25 Whoa. or something like that. Um, Hexagon UX, mixed methods, designer hangouts. If you're um, like me, you're, you know, Latina or Latino, um, Tecaria is a really good one. It's uh, Latinos in tech. Um, there's oh, a Latinos in funny. tech. <laughs> yeah. Um, what users do. There's just so many Slack channels. Go in there, talk to people, find mentors. Um, everyone, well, the internet is just an amazing tool right now. 
<laughs> it really, really is. You don't have to be in front of someone in order to connect with them. Um, How do you spell Techaria? Uh, tech, uh-huh. like uh, like technology, yeah. and then Korea, like uh-huh. Takaria. <laughs> um, the other thing is you can have amazing work, and if no one sees it, you might as well not exist. So that's why it's so important to network. Yes. Cool. Thank you for coming today. Uh, yeah. This was a very great session, I think. <laughs> uh, cool. I'm glad. <laughs> so, so just for the feed, uh, I'm just going to describe like what we are, what we're doing. So I'm Livio De La Cruz. I'm the chair of the IGDA Student SIG. The IGDA is the International Game Developers Association, and we are the student special interest group in that organization. Uh, we do a lot of things We like this AM, this event, this AMA, this podcast. We also ha- run the IGDA's local student chapter program, which is basically if you run a school club that's dedicated to game development, you can be officially recognized as uh, an official local chapter of our organization. And we work with chapter leaders to make better clubs, for example. Uh, yeah, and our next AMA might be this weekend. Uh, I'm not sure yet. It hasn't been, the schedule hasn't been locked down yet, but we are moving to a once per week schedule, but we're still kind of dealing with the two per week schedule that we ha- used to have. <laughs> uh, and that's pretty much it. All right. Uh, Thank you so much. Thanks again, Coralie. Uh, Mixed Methods, is that your website or a different one? Uh, Mixed Methods is another uh, group slash Slack. Um, It really talks more about the user research side of things and just different types of methodologies. Nice. Well, thank you. Have a good rest of your day. You too. See you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.